Fangio is probably the greatest driver of all time, but I think Jim Clark, you could put him in anything. He was just the most beautiful driver. We use all our powers of persuasion to bring the owners and the cars that we'd like to see here. An extraordinary character who I befriended managed to smuggle a Grand Prix Auto Union out of the Soviet Union. The Chubb Interviews with Jody Kidd. Brought to you by Chubb Insurance, expert insurers of your most valued possessions. Established since 1882. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Chubb Interviews, which today comes from the Concourse of Elegance here at the beautiful Hampton Court. I'm Jodie Kidd. So time to introduce our guest. Gregor Fiskin is founder of globally renowned classic car specialist Fiskins and chairman of the Concourse of Elegance Steering Committee. In 96, Gregor's passion for classic cars led him to open his dealership, Fiskins Fine Historic Automobiles, in London's South Kensington. He then worked for an esteemed London auction house, an experience that would not only establish his reputation as an internationally respected authority, but also pave the way for his opening of Fiskin's famous central London premises in Queensgate Place Mews. Fiskins has been home to some of the great historic racing cars of the 20th century, and Gregor has campaigned across the world to keep thoroughbreds, which I totally agree, in competition rather than consigned to a museum. Gregor, so welcome and thank you so much for doing the Chubb interviews with me. And thank you so much for joining us. I must say the car curators have done a fantastic job if everyone's also been round to see the most incredible collection. And it's a really, really difficult year. How did you get such a fantastic selection of cars? Well, firstly, Jodie, thank you for the... I'm humbled by your introduction. Um, I was listening there thinking, God, who is that guy? <laughs> And, and apparently it's me and it's us at Fiskins. But I think that what I would say is everything's about teamwork. And the group of cars that are here today is really courtesy of an awful lot of hard work and an awful lot of good spirit and faith by the owners themselves and by the team that we've got on the selection committee. And, and we are very lucky in that James Brooks Ward and the Royal Concourse of Elegance very much empower us to use our judgment to come up with crazy ideas, themes in the Formula One theme, the Ford versus Ferrari theme. You know, when you come up with the right theme, people either buy into it or they don't. And people are really bought into it. This collection is actually represents, in some respects, a better collection than we started off with back at the start of this year. At um, the start of this year, we already had more or less, there was huge enthusiasm for people to come. But of course, one by one they fell. With quarantine and restrictions, we lost cars. But it's funny how sometimes plans just evolve better than, you, than your dreams. And in the last few weeks, the themes brought in you know the, the lineup of a formula one cars the ford versus ferraris i mean through our friend joe macari uh, you know to getting the the ferrari 250 gto at its first public debut wow i didn't expect that and thanks to joe and to the owner of the car the 365p again came through you know the same ferrari classical restoration and the fords you know that to have the ford france gt40 from the movie the claude lelouch movie on an homme et une femme you know that car's never been shown in the uk before so 
these are just a few of the kind of jewels in a crown, which is, you know, any one of these cars here. And I love the fact that this event, whilst it's about serious cars, I don't think we take this thing too seriously. And when I look over and we've got the first ever production Land Rover, wow. I mean, everyone can relate to having a Landy. You know, my son today is out in his Porsche 936 Junior car. So we've got the kids car class. So we've got all that going on. And there's many things, you know, I'm a Scotsman, so I don't get very emotional, but I am so happy to see people, to see enthusiasts. And we're all here and we haven't done anything since March. And to get all you lot here is just bloody fantastic. And we all share this passion. And the weather's been great. And Hampton Court is amazing. It's been brilliant. And I've got a feeling that, in many respects, the faith that, that James Brooks Ward and the guys put into this event and our, our sponsors at Lang & Song, you know, everyone could have walked away. But everyone just said, we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. And we have made it happen. And it's just magic. And, you know, it's great to be back. Oh, it's wonderful. And I've been struggling with this for the last two days since I've been here. But do you have a favourite? Is there one car that you... I mean, obviously the GTO. I love Joe. He's a good friend of mine, so I was allowed to sit in it yesterday, which is just like such a highlight. So that's my favourite. But what's yours? There can be no one favourite. It's like your children. It's like, do you love anyone more than the other? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Someone said yes. Um, depends on who's behaving. Yeah, exactly. Now, I think my favourite is Jean-Francois Deco's Ferrari stack pipe Formula One car over there. I think that is, I find myself, I keep on coming back and having a little sneaky look at it. You know, I've seen other things, you know, today. It's not all about the red or the exotic. There are so many great cars. I mean, I'm, I'm loving the future classics over there. I think... Aston Martin's Victor. Wow, I wasn't expecting that to come. And yeah, it's really cool. And, you know, Aston have made wonderful bespoke suits in the past, which you just know they look cool, but you just know they're going to be probably better in the looking than the actual driving. But Aston are doing a great car today. And I have to say, the DBX so proud you know Aston have had a bumpy ride recently but that DBX I think it's going to sell like hotcakes and uh, you know I've seen that over there and I I love that that we can have the stuff that's coming in the pipeline uh, along with the stuff that you know that we were looking back and celebrating so again you know uh, it's a long-winded answer to say I think the Ferrari is the one for me Uh, the Formula One car over there with all those amazing white pipes. They call them spaghetti pipes because they look like bunches. Bun- yeah, the one just number two over there. It looks like a bunch of exhaust pipe spaghetti and, <laughs> and all those trumpets and things. And I can just see Bandini or any of the great Chris Amon or someone just stepping into that and Absolutely. going. So, yeah, and, and the 250F as well. But, you know, here I am. I'm going off piece because, like children, I'm just adoring them all. I know, I know. I'm so with you. But before we go into more about you and your business can you tell us a little bit more about the steering committee at the concourse and what that's all about yeah i mean the steering committee has always evolved when the first event was held uh, at windsor castle james brooks ward identified that they needed to get some really good collectors and people who had some influence in we're a mixed group of in my case specialist dealers journalists historians we have the chairman of the Royal Automobile Club Motoring Committee. We've got the gorgeous C.C. Muldoon. 
she did one of our podcasts. Exactly, gorgeous so we, lady. So we've got the lovely Cece, who is an you know is just an encyclopedia of cars. Because I think the good thing of a committee is you need everyone's opinion. But we all love great cars, and we've all got our little niches and our things we're interested in. So you know, it's just it's a fantastic process, and we just sit around the table and we come up with our wish list, and everyone goes, well. Wouldn't it be great to see him or wouldn't it be great to see that car? Who knows them? Uh, right, over to you. You get on the job. And we sort of spread it out. And then we get, you know, we use all our powers of persuasion to bring the owners and the cars that we'd like to see here. You've been selling racing historic cars for decades now. Can you tell us how you got into the business at the beginning? Yeah, I'm a failed schoolboy and that, you know, I, I got into a spot of bother at boarding school and ended up unexpectedly home. My mum and dad loved cars and they always had lovely old cars. And, you know, we were all at home and I was in the doghouse and a wonderful old man called Bunty Scotman Creef, who was a famous purveyor. He was a purveyor of horses, carriages to the nobility and gentry. And he'd done that since 1927, and he had a restoration shop. And I was fascinated by all things mechanical. And he said, send him down to me, I'll look after him. And so I got to work restoring old Rolls and Bentleys and Bugattis and Alphas as a 16-year-old. And that was my university of life. The plan was always that I would go back to Scotland and do something rather more mundane. But I, I went down to London. I went around banging on the doors of all sorts of people. And then I eventually got a job in an auction house. And again, you know, I, I keep on expecting the knock on the door from my mum and dad saying it's time to come home to Scotland. But I managed to find a, a career in something that was, was a hobby and a passion. And, you know, one fine day I'm going to get a proper job, but not today. So your wonderful showroom, Fiskins, is based in South Kensington. So why did you choose South Ken? Well, South Kensington, you know, from the, some of the sort of the time when horses and carts got pushed out of the mews, and uh, the mews are these lovely little garages. They're tucked away in the little streets behind the big houses in central London. And from the sort of earliest time, from the 1920s and 30s, from my, my mentor, Bunty Scotman Creef, they used these mews garages to sell exotic cars. And it's a long tradition. And back in the sort of 1980s, when I came to London, all the great dealers occupied places in the mews. And my, my friend Dan Mogulis used to run his Grand Prix Maseratis. Our friend Alain de Cadney is still in our mews. He launched his campaign to Le Mans from Queensgate Place Mews. The cars were built there in these cobbled streets. And we're one of the last survivors, myself and my friend Peter Bradfield and a few others, we're still in the Mews. And we uphold what's now a long tradition of selling great cars from these little cobbled streets of London. Amazing. So you've had the most extraordinary list of cars going through your showroom. Is there one particular story or one find that you've sold that you particularly remember? Yes, with the benefit of time, you can talk about some of the stuff because, of course, we've had some adventures. I think probably the most exciting car, which probably is one of the few that will never be repeated, is we managed to sell many years ago one of the famous Grand Prix Auto Unions. And the Grand Prix Auto Unions were these unicorn, these fabled cars that were built to race against Mercedes in the 1930s, and they dominated everything. They were the first rear-engine Grand Prix car and after World War II, they all disappeared. Um, they were either lost in the war, but the Russians took a couple of them back to Russia. 
and an extraordinary character who I befriended managed to smuggle a Grand Prix Auto Union out of the Soviet Union in a camper van through Finland. And uh, I met this character. He'd, he'd emigrated to America, and he would speak to no one. But using many skills of persuasion and guile, I befriended him, and I was able to buy the only Grand Prix Auto Union in private ownership, not owned by Audi, and I sold it to a client of mine. And uh, I have to say, when the car came to Queensgate Place Muse, it's still surreal even thinking and talking about it today. But like in the tradition of the Muse, whilst we've never been completely popular with our neighbours, we fired it up. I drove a Grand Prix Auto Union up to Hyde Park and back, which was a special moment. How incredible. I'd love to, I'm going to have to have a look at a picture of that. Um, So what was your first classic? Do you remember that? Well, the very first classic car I ever raced, Bunty gave me, he has a Vauxhall 3098 racing car and it raced at Brooklands in the 1930s. And I used to drive Bunty in his 70s and he had quarter vision in one eye. He was diabetic and he had both legs and calipers. But the Vintage Sports Car Club were very all-embracing and he used to be allowed to race. He was absolutely lethal and everyone stayed out his way. And uh, one day he said, dear boy, he said, you should have a go. And I was 17 and I just got my license and I did my first Vintage Sports Car Club race in that car and I had a few years of fun with it. And when he passed away, he he left it to me. And I still have that car today. So that's my first ever racing car, and I've still got it. And I still use it. I still drive it. And my kids are only six and a bit. But uh, I suspect that even before they've got a license, they'll be driving it too. Amazing. So may I ask what's in your collection? It's always ever-evolving. We've got the Vauxhall. We've got a short-nosed Jaguar D-Type, which is a lovely, lovely car. For family purposes, we've got a Bentley four and a half litre sports saloon. I'm a terrible one for souvenirs, and I was like yourself. I was able to do a little bit of modern car racing, and I raced at Le Mans a few times in 2004, five, six, and seven. And my last Le Mans, uh, you never say never. There might not be another one, but I, I was lucky enough to drive for the French Aston Martin team, Labra, and we ran a, a factory Aston Martin DBR9. We had a difficult Le Mans that year, but we finished. All six works Aston's finished, which was a hell of an achievement. And I kept the car. We did our last race at Interlagos in Brazil. And uh, we went very much as a gentleman team against. And the works Corvette sent their team because they wanted to win the championship. But they had a gearbox problem, which was bad for them, but good for us. And we had a good run and we we, we won the GT1 class and uh, I was able to buy the car at the end of the season and I've kept it. We ran it at uh, Goodwood this year. My good Scottish pal Dario Franchitti drove it. We're cooking up a plan. He's retired, but these things you can now use in historic racing. So we, if we can have Le Mans Classic next year, they're going to have a race for more contemporary old Le Mans cars. And it'd be nice to take the car back and Dario fancies a go. So um, it'll be an old Scots lineup. Fantastic. So you know the market really, really well. So where do you see things going? There are some really valuable cars here today, but where will the growth come from in the future? Um, A very good question. I mean, obviously, we're going through strange times. I'm a great one for quality. And my view has been, you know, we have a situation now where there's a little bit more choice in the market. The last few years, you know, the the prices have been spiraling ever upwards. And if you didn't grab the one that came along, you missed out. Now we're back to there's a little bit more choice. 
if I looked last night at the auction sales, our friends Gooding had, you know, they got three world record prices for the Bugatti Type 59. Quite rightly, they got the thick end of 10 million quid. You know, for the Lamborghini Mura, which shows a generational change. You know, when I first came in the old car trade, Lamborghini Muras were to be avoided. They wouldn't start. When they started, they generally caught fire. Exactly. Um, the clutches were, were sort of something like you'd have on a London bus. And the driving position was made for very small Italian men with short legs. But it is beautiful. But they're very sexy. <laughs> I and, so stunning. And like a lot of Italian things which are a little bit fickle, you forgive them all their sins. Last night, that beautiful Mura made over three million pounds. Wow. And that Mura was one that was considered to be an exceptionally good car. And it was an exceptionally good car. And it was ferociously fought over. So whether it be a Lamborghini Mura or an amazing Bugatti or a Jaguar E-Type or an Austin Healey, the best of the best. And I think there's an opportunity today to buy cars which people have spent lots of money on them and to buy beautifully restored cars and have a little bit of choice. So that's today. Your question was, where is the market going? I haven't got a crystal ball, but when I look around here now, I see the love for these cars is undiminished. I think that the events are a big driving force. You know, if we can't have the events, the cars are lovely, but cars are so much more than just objects. You know, they live, they speak, you can drive them, you can hear them, you know, you can sit in history. If you can't use them and you can't go to places, no good. So with the events coming back, I think this thing is going to get even stronger. You know, again, you know, I love the fact we've got a little bit more choice. And I think that there's so much information. There's so many specialists like myself. You know, there's so many great restorers. There's so much. We're so lucky. No one should make a mistake buying a classic car. They should just go to the right people because, you know, the advice and the help and the support is there. And, you know, we're damn lucky in Great Britain. And, you know, we, you know, we love our animals and we love our classic cars. You know, we really have got all the facilities. And thank God we've still got the roads to enjoy them. And if you do it correctly, they're also, you know, a really good investment, aren't they? If you go to specialists like yourself, you know, it's almost like buying a house or something. You know, it's, it, the value will last, if not go up. When I say return on investment, I think the first return on investment, and someone says to me, what classic car should I buy? And I, I always say, you know, you shouldn't buy what you're told to buy. You should buy what your eyes go to. And you look and you go, I love that. Then your first return is pleasure. That's the first thing, you know, and if, you know, don't just keep it at home, get it out, use it, get everyone involved with it, join the clubs, go on the tours. That is your first return or, or, uh, as an investment. And if you buy the best, you'll be pleasantly surprised when you come to see it, because it's amazing how you, you know, when people come to me and they go, my God, Gregor, that's a lot of money. And I go, you know, it's a lot of money, but I look back at some of the cars I've bought and on the day, I sweated, and I thought, you are mad to pay this price. And I look back, and I go, oh, my God, that was nothing. And all that money, in real terms, the value of money is just, if you look at prices of houses 30 years ago or 40 years ago, you know, I remember the 1980s, a million pounds, still a lot of money today, but a million pounds was an extraordinary amount of money in 1989. And now you, you look at a million pounds and it's, yes, it's still an awful lot of money. 
but the value of money goes down. And I, I think the cars do go up in price, but I think the value of cash goes down. And I think there's only so many beautiful things. And there's only so much great art. And you know what? If you look at the art market compared to the car market, there are so few great cars. You know, the, the artists have been prolific since the dawn of time. But these cars that we love, which are almost made by the hand of God, there's not that much stuff to go around. Very true. So being a very successful racing car driver, what is it about racing historic cars? It's one of those things. It's very hard to put into words. But when you do it, you'll know. Because what will happen is, and I had a friend of mine who just got his competition license a few weeks ago. And it's really funny. We took him on a track day. And he said he woke up the following day. And the first thing he woke up thinking was, wow, how can I go quicker? <laughs> Which is it. It's something that, that as you know, Jodine, never leaves you. And it doesn't matter how much or how little you've done. It's just such a pleasure. And, you know, the cars themselves, and actually, funnily enough, it's not just about the lap time. There's something about old cars. They are so sensory. They're so responsive, you know. They, and when you're driving them well, and that's why I love... It's interesting, guys like Gordon Murray, who are doing their supercars, they're, they're putting gear levers back in. You know, they're putting a clutch in. They're, you know, they're not having... Yeah, and, and it's that feel. And you know what it's like when you, when you do that lovely downshift and you give it that little blip and you hear the engine and you brake and you turn in the corner and it just moves a little bit and you come out the corner and you go, wow, that was great. I could go a little faster next time. Oh, gosh, it's been a long time. The last race I did was the Mila Milia, so I've got to get back out next year. Maybe we could do something well, together. Well, I, I think we should hatch a plan. I think we should. We should hatch a plan because it's, yeah, I mean, as you've done on the Mila Milia, when you're driving these cars on the road oh. and you're going into these Italian villages and you're in some amazing cool car with the exhaust reverberating off the streets. Yeah. In some countries, they throw stones at you. But in Italy, they, they shout it. and they cheer yeah. and they egg you to go faster. And the kids, are, they want you to dip the clutch, rev the engine up, and they just love it. You're God for three days on that event. It really is very, very special. So do you have an all-time favorite racing car driver? Do I have an all-time favorite racing driver? I'd say in the past tense, I revere Jim Clark. yes. I would concede Fangio is probably the greatest driver of all time, but I think Jim Clark would have continued his career even further. And I think Jim Clark, you could put him in anything. He was just the most beautiful driver. My current hero is Dario Franchitti, and I'm privileged to count him as a friend. I just think, wow. And of the current crop of Grand Prix drivers, I'm a huge Lewis Hamilton fan, and I just don't know why Lewis doesn't get more recognition you know what he is doing on the track yes he's in the best car but my god that boy delivers every time absolutely and uh, works absolutely hard delivers every time i love what alonso can do in a car you know give him anything but then i look at the other guys what lando norris is doing george russell's doing you know in this country we've got immense talent and to be quite honest, you know, every one of those boys on the Formula One grid have got God-given talent. Every one of the guys who are driving in the WEC or driving sports cars, we've got some amazing people out there. Yeah, no, we're very, very lucky. So, difficult question. If you could go back in time and drive in any race, in any vehicle, 
which race would you choose and which car? Wow. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, safety net for me, it's got to be at Le Mans. Greatest race in the world. 24 hours of Le Mans. Which edition of the 24 hours of Le Mans would I go in? I think I'd get a short list. Definitely the 1920s, one of the great Bentley wins. I think for me, I'd probably pick a race where I wouldn't have finished. I think I would like to have been Tim Birkin driving the four and a half litre Bentley supercharged against Rudolf Caracciola. And Birkin was sent out in the Bentley to break the Mercedes. And there's a very famous uh, Brian de Grino picture of Birkin. In those days, the tyres were rubbish. And when you drove them hard, they had lots of tyre blowouts. And Birkin passed Caracciola at 125 miles an hour on the Molesan Strait. And his Caracciola was trying to block him. And he took to the grass to get by him. Of course, his tyre blew out. And eventually, his car went. But that kind of heroic death or glory, I think, to me... To have been at Le Mans in the 1920s, you know, would have been amazing. But, you know, we have here today, we've got the Le Mans winning 917 Porsche. And, you know, if I look at what, what our friend Dickie Atwood did in that 917, the smallest spec car, the worst weather with mumps. He, you know, he wasn't feeling well. He had mumps at the time. He didn't know that till after the race. Well, they said he couldn't understand why he was just so tired. And they won the 24 hours of Le Mans. We have that car over there. That would have been amazing to have been Dickie's teammate at Le Mans, any of the great Le Mans wins. And, you know, there have been so many. But on balance, I think, you know, I'm going to go back to the 1920s. I'm going to get my polka dot scarf on and I'm going to be Tim Birkin. Love it. OK, so last question. What does the future hold for Fiskins? Um, really good question. I think that the future for Fiskins is... We're going to stay in London, and we're going to stay in that muse. I mean, London is going to come back. We're going to have a place in the countryside as well. We definitely want to have somewhere in the home counties, Hampshire, Gloucestershire. Anyone knows a farm for sale in Oxfordshire, let me know. We'd like to have a place outside of London as well, because, you know, with pollution, with stuff like that, it's getting harder to really show the cars off. But we want to keep that place, and we love people to come and see us in the muse. So... That's where we're going to be. I think we're going to stick to what we know. We're going to stick to the greatest cars in the world. We're going to stick to really selling the good stuff. And we're getting excited because there's going to be more good stuff. We want to get the generation of cars which I raced at Le Mans, the DBR9s, the MC12 Maseratis that My you favorite. raced, all that cool stuff. You know, we're going to have the 550 Maranellos. We already do. We're going to have some of the younger generation of cars, but we're still going to have fabulous Bugattis, fabulous Alphas, because we need younger people to get turned on to that stuff. And, you know, when you hear a Bugatti Type 35C fired up, you know, it's just like, boom. What I see with some of the collectors we deal with, they want to have something from every generation. They want to have a car to do the London to Brighton. They want to have a Grand Prix Bugatti. They want a vintage Bentley. They want a Jaguar C-Type to do the Mille Miglia. You know, the events are going to continue. And I think the future is great. And uh, it's just all about getting the next generation of collectors in and turning them on to the good stuff. Okay, so in this podcast series, we're running a special theme called One Piece at a Time, where we ask our guests to select one prized possession that means a lot to them. I mean, we've had everything from Richard Noble, I think, chose a boat. We had Frank Stevenson, who pulled out a Bic Biro, and that's where he's designed 
all of the cars from the gorgeous McLarens over there to the Minis with a Bic Biro. So what would your one piece at a time be? Um, beyond family, beyond my wife and my twins, which would always come first before everything, I think my one piece is a building, and it's number 14 Queensgate Place Muse. It's where we've been for the last 27 years, and it's sort of part of us. It's part of our DNA. It's, it's where we've always been, and I can't imagine being without it. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for making us all come out to this wonderful event, you know, Hampton Court in the sunshine with these cars. What a wonderful, special event. Thank you so much. And thank you for speaking to me. It's wonderful being part of our podcast. Jodie, I could speak to you all day. I know. I could listen, honestly. (laughs) And are we going to go racing? We're going to go racing. racing. I'm going to definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much, everyone. That's the end of our podcast. I just want to say have a wonderful day in the sunshine. Everywhere you look is something incredible. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Pleasure. And to the listeners of this podcast, we would love it if you could share your own one piece at a time pictures on Instagram or Facebook, or you can send it on email. So thanks to our live audience here at the Concourse of Elegance at Hampton Court, as well as those listening to the special episode of the Chubb interview series, brought to you by Chubb, who share our passion for classic cars. There'll be another episode very soon. To receive every episode as it's released, please subscribe on your favourite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, please review and spread the word. And don't forget to email us your stories about your most loved classics. I'm Jodie Kidd. Until next time, goodbye. The Chubb Interviews with Jodie Kidd. Brought to you by Chubb Insurance. Expert insurers of your most valued possessions. Established since 1882.